0: Poets oh, may sing of the friends who will cling to you when you are gloomy and blue. But I have one friend who will stick to the end, just the dearest friend I ever knew. Whenever I'm sad and the world treats me badly into some wrath I stray. I fill up a dime with this old friend of mine and I dream all
1: my sorrows.
0: Hello and welcome to The Screen Test of Time, the podcast where we watch every movie ever nominated for Best Picture in order from the very first awards ceremony to someday, the present year. I'm one of your hosts, Susan Raslin.
1: I'm your other host, I'm David Dahl.
0: And this week we are talking about The Champ, which was nominated for Best Picture in 1931 slash 32. And I almost said Skippy instead of The Champ.
1: Yeah, I I learned that this is in fact, like, this is like weirdly one of those like production company sequels to a movie where like the first movie did so well for an actor that they were like, we got to build a movie around them. And it was for Skippy. It was for... Jackie Cooper.
0: Really, this was like he did so well. We've got to make another movie with him.
1: Yeah, like that. Skippy was his breakout role, and then he starred in a bunch of stuff, starting with this for like the next five years. It was like two thirds of the way into the movie when I finally realized. Did you ever watch Don't Trust the Bitch in Apartment Twenty Three?
0: Oh my god, I loved that show. Do
1: you remember the episode where James Vanderbeek playing a slightly more assholeish version of James Vanderbeek? became obsessed with the idea of working with Kiernan Shipka because she was like the method actor of horrible abusive family dynamics.
0: Yes, I do remember that.
1: I feel like that's what this movie is, is like the non-joke, though there's still weird light comedy portions of it, version of that bit of just like, gotta work with Jackie Cooper. Gotta get that Jackie Cooper (laughs) like pathos. In a film,
0: I really wish that we'd been able to effectively watch Skippy, but I feel like even with the corrupted, cursed version of it that we were able to sort of watch, the Champ is either the darkest timeline version of Skippy or it is the prequel to Skippy.
1: <laughs> I feel like both are pretty reasonable options given. Should we kind of get to the plot of this film? Because the ending of this film is wild.
0: Yeah, let's talk about what this movie is about. So Jackie Cooper is like an eight-year-old, I'm I'm guessing, roughly.
1: Who idolizes his father, who's basically... I mean, we went into this saying that this was like going to be the 1931 equivalent of Rocky. And like plot-wise, that's kind of true. It is about a washed-up boxer, like, coming back. In his later years and, like, triumphing over personal problems to get there, in practice, this movie feels absolutely nothing like Rocky whatsoever because just shit tons of screen time are devoted to the kid, to the champ, the titular champ's son, Dink, who idolizes his drunken gambling addicted father but also has kind of learned to be disappointed by him and that life is going to be this constant roller coaster ride with him there's kind of a weird subplot that we'll go into more detail on later it's not really a subplot i guess but uh, dink's mom comes back Uh, and tries to get custody of Dink. The champ goes through several more rounds of disappointing Dink through his behavior and trying to make amends with his son and and make him happy. Dink eventually goes off with the mom, but then runs away to come back. The champ has set up this big comeback match to make enough money to buy back the horse that he had previously bought, Dink, and then lost in a round of gambling. And then... uh, Fights through sheer determination and love for his son hard enough to win the championship, but also hard enough that it just physically kills him how hard he fought. And he falls over dead. And then Jackie Cooper has, I'm not going to lie, a pretty effective but also really bizarre scene where people desperately try and console him about his dead father while he just yells, I want the champ over and over and over again. And then the movie's done.
0: That is definitely the story. And then I guess we're supposed to think that he goes off to live with his mom, Linda, and her new husband. And
1: I did leave out that, like, the very last thing is he sees his mom and, like, they hug. And then that's the actual very, very last thing that happens.
0: Yeah, she, like, picks him up and he says, like, the champ is dead, mama. Jackie Cooper's character in this is pretty much exactly what I saw in what I was able to see of Skippy, where he has sort of well-to-do parents who clearly care about his welfare and take good care of him. So it's either that Skippy is the sequel where he goes to live with Linda and Tony, or... That the champ is just what happened to Skippy in the darkest timeline.
1: I kind of prefer the sequel angle because it is weirdly slightly less dark. <laughs> but I. Yes, I, that's true. But yeah, I do think the real through line in Jackie Cooper's performance in both of them is this kind of like childhood bravado. He is constantly lying. But he is also constantly able to project that he kind of knows that he's lying in both roles in this way that kind of makes it endearing that he is constantly lying to everyone around him. I feel like you've seen so many movies over the years that have tried to do that and it goes like horribly wrong. Like you're just like, this kid's a piece of shit. Like, screw this kid. Um, and, (laughs) And, like, it is actually genuinely endearing when Jackie Cooper does it. Like, it's, I get why they were like, we gotta make a bunch of movies with this kid.
0: He definitely has more appeal, I think, than, like dennis the menace or alfalfa or whatever like i don't i don't want the kid to fail which i always felt that way about dennis the menace i was like this kid's an asshole
1: yes (laughs) exactly like you constantly are like where are this kid's parents jesus uh like what is wrong with everyone in this story except for the neighbor this movie could easily be that there are a lot of scenes where if you write down what happens it's basically like this kid is an arrogant jerk to all of the adults around him and constantly tells them he knows better than them and then walks away after being totally wrong. <laughs> and yet it doesn't ever play that way. It doesn't ever like feel like this is just a irritating, horrible child no one would ever want to be around, but the movie demands you watch more scenes with him. He's genuinely charming.
0: Yeah, I think part of that too is that the situations that are set up have a lot more pathos than... Your average kid's movie? I mean, you said, where are this kid's parents? And that, that made me think of what is actually really subversive about this film, even by 2018 standards. He lives with his dad, who is a single parent in an economically depressed situation. He has a deadbeat mom who like ran off to fulfill her own dreams because the husband like didn't, the relationship didn't live up to her standards, which is Really
1: unusual. I feel like the movie doesn't want you to look too hard at the mom thing. Because in practice, she just like up and left. But the movie kind of pretends like she somehow didn't know she had a kid.
0: Yeah, there's a totally weird thing where she says... To Tony, her husband, when they're at the horse race, Mm -hmm. which coincidentally, Little Champ, which is uh, Dink's horse, happens to be in.
1: Which also bothers me because the horse is bigger than the champ. He should be named Big Champ anyway.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, he is a horse. Mm -hmm. She says to her current husband, you know, oh, I saw Andy, which is the champ's real name. And he was with a kid. Is that could it be and it's like how do you not know lady
1: like what would where would the what kid would that be otherwise what do you think happened to your kid if that isn't him like what the what are you talking about she as a character is otherwise just fine but i feel like this movie just kind of like didn't think through how the logistics of being like a deadbeat dad and being a deadbeat mom are kind of different just from the biological reality of where and when the kid came from
0: right like was she just totally unconscious for the better part of a year
1: yeah my head canon version of it was just like was she just like super duper drunk the whole time and then just like barely remembers she had a kid is this like that discovery channel show or, or i don't know what channel it's on the one where, like, people find out they're pregnant when they had the baby? Like, was it was it a that
0: situation? Like Peggy in, in Mad Men. Yes. Just like, oh, I'm just gaining a lot of weight. I don't really know why. I
1: spent way too much time thinking about that because it was one of several things about this movie that's kind of weird. Like, I was comparing it with Nikki, with my wife, to Wings in the sense of, like, it feels like there was this fairly straightforward genre picture underneath here That then got, like, rejiggered because, like, now Jackie Cooper's gotta be the star. And, like, we gotta make that part bigger and give them more stuff to do. Where, like, it's got the skeleton of a, like, boxer comeback movie. But then it keeps interrupting itself for, like, Little Rascals-style childhood hijink sequences. And then sometimes those two things come into contact with each other. And sometimes that's like really, really interesting. And sometimes it's like, what is fucking happening right now? There's a part toward the end of the movie where the champ gets dragged to the drunk tank and Dink shows up with all of his friends to like see the person getting hauled off to the drunk tank because there's not a whole lot to do in 19... (laughs) Also, when is this movie set? That's another thing. I'm sorry to get off topic, but like I can't I couldn't figure out like, is this present day? Is it like 1910? What is going on? But it's set in Tijuana at some point after Cars Exist, but before 1933.
0: Yeah, I feel like it was supposed to be present day for 1930, 1931.
1: I guess there were a couple of things that made me feel like it was earlier. But anyway, just like that's what they do for entertainment to see who's getting hauled off to the drunk tank. And then it turns out it's Dink's dad, and like, it was this childhood hijinks thing, and then it was like, oh no, this is actually a pathos scene. And then the, still pretty racist, but less racist than he could have been, black best friend of Dink's.
0: Not that the kid himself is racist, but that the portrayal of him is, yeah.
1: Yes goes looks like your pa done done it again and i'm like what is this scene what is happening what is the tone (laughs) what am i supposed to be taking from it how is this a movie and examples of that like abound in this movie where just like it is simultaneously skippy and rocky And that's bonkers.
0: It is kind of difficult to combine those two because one has like a very lighthearted childhood hijinks thing going on. And the other one is about, you know, the deep and uncomfortable adult situation of facing up to the fact that you have failed your potential and failed the people that you love and the people that you're in relationships with.
1: The first 10 minutes of this film are straight up like a light comedy. ...about an eight-year-old child who has to take care of his, like, drunken, neglectful father. And, like, oh, it's wacky. And it is weird. And never really settles into one or the other of those tones... Through the whole film. Or rather jumps back and forth between them, I guess.
0: I want to go on record, though, as saying that pretty much of all the movies that we've watched so far, even though this one doesn't exactly find its feet as far as tone is concerned, that it is the most straightforward, I would recognize this as a movie, movie that we have watched.
1: Yes, I think so, too. This has a, like, three-act structure. It, like, has story beats. It has a a relative minimum of like weird narrative cul-de-sacs in the second act compared to like everything else that we've seen where there's only a few sequences where you're like why was that in the movie mostly things kind of come back to things i think from the like very first scene like you open on champ and dink training for this fight together where they're just going on a run outside of town and it's like Oh God, this would have been like minute 35 of a lot of the movies that we watched. We would have had these like long establishing sequences where like the bartender goes like, Dink, you've got to take care of your old man. A lot of people say he used to be the world champion and it's true, but now he's a washed up alcoholic. And like, instead we just jump immediately into these people's lives like a fucking movie. Right?
0: Yes, exactly. (laughs) It trusts that the audience is going to get that from the action in the movie and not from some character explaining all of what's happened before. You know, things unfold and there are reveals. You know, we don't know anything about Dink's mom or where Dink came from. I mean, for the first part of the movie, I thought like, okay, he's just kind of adopted this kid.
1: It's 20 minutes in before it is clear that Dink is the champ's kid.
0: Like biologically.
1: (laughs) Yes. I think that's kinda cool actually. Like that is one of the things I also liked about this movie is that it really did just go like, no, you're just here. Just just sit down, just watch the movie, it'll be fine. You'll like you'll you'll get it. There's context clues. It's fine. I didn't hate this movie, but I was like mystified by this movie. Like this was the first movie that I genuinely started going, like, how did this happen? Like how how was this movie made? It is better than a lot of the other movies that we have watched. But, like, I understood the process by which this became a film. Like, for, say, in old Arizona, faster than I did for, like, this one... Because I just, like, immediately was like, oh, this is about, like, sound outdoors. And it it was a long way through the movie before I finally Googled and I was like, oh, this is an actor showcase for Jackie Cooper. The reason we keep taking breaks from the action to figure out what this kid is doing is that what this kid is doing is the movie. And my dog is losing his mind because Jackie Cooper should not have been given that opportunity. Oscar, Jackie Cooper is a good actor. You gotta let it go. (laughs) He's very talented.
0: He has a long and illustrious career, Oscar.
1: <laughs> he made the transition from child actor to adult actor. Barely anybody's ever done that. Really talented child actors don't do that, Oscar. <laughs>
0: Yeah, come on. Now he's not
1: into it. It's just not happening. But
0: yeah, we should we should actually talk about the acting in this movie because I do think that it was definitely a showcase for Jackie Cooper. I think also Wallace Beery, who plays the champ, mm-hmm. had a lot of opportunity to showboat in here and was and was very good at it. There is absolutely a version of this movie where the champ is in no way sympathetic. He's a drunk and a gambler who keeps gambling away his child's happiness at one point he loses little champ the horse and then linda loans him the money to buy little champ back and he loses that money yeah it was terrible oscar
1: oh my god okay what
0: was i saying oh yeah it's like okay he's had a rough life and i think part of the reason that i really felt like he was sympathetic is he was married to this woman who had a kid and and abandoned him left him with the kid and was just like bye I'm gonna go marry some rich guy and yet when we meet her she is not portrayed in any way as like evil or a gold digger or anything else it's just sort of like the complexities of human nature and sometimes good people make really really bad decisions that damage other people and I don't even think that the movie was getting at that i don't think it was that deep Uh, yeah but that's there to find i did think
1: the same thing of just like fundamentally everybody in this movie is a good person in a way that like not that they necessarily like make good decisions or you would want them in your life but that like none of them are fundamentally like a mustache twirling like oh, this is the bad guy. You're supposed to hate this guy.
0: And it would be so easy.
1: There's, like, a couple of scenes where you almost think that's where they're gonna go with the husband, the mother's new husband.
0: Right, Tony. But
1: he, like, by the end of the film is, like, showing up to the champ's boxing match to be, like, totally uncritically supportive and is like, you do your best out there, but also we're worried about you. Don't get too hurt. This fucking guy. Like, like, (laughs) I, I... you're right, because totally in like more unsympathetic hands in and in a lesser actor's hands, you absolutely would fucking despise the champ. Like, oh, yeah, he is often despicable in this film. But like there is this really strong through line of the relationship between Dink and the champ that really grounds those actions and makes it feel more like a person making mistakes than like. This guy's a fucking disaster and should not be allowed around children, even though that guy is a fucking disaster and he should not be allowed around children.
0: (laughs) Oh, yeah, absolutely. I, I think part of what makes him so sympathetic or really most of what makes him so sympathetic is that obviously this is a guy who has no business raising a child who doesn't want to. I mean, he is utterly enslaved by alcohol and gambling and his addiction to those two things. And yet he still puts a roof over his kid's head and really genuinely loves his child. And in any other story, the champ is the guy who leaves his kid with the wife, not the other way around. And he does the best that he can under really, really terrible circumstances of being a really bad addict. (laughs) To be there for his kid.
1: And I really want to, like, make it clear that I think, like, my problems with the tone in this movie are about, like, how weird that is. How, sort of, you don't really see movies that do what this movie does tonally anymore because it's not a particularly great idea. (laughs) Or if you do, it's kind of a... A show y kind of a, a technical thing of just like, oh, this is simultaneously X kind of movie and Y kind of movie. And we're going to give you these like signifiers to let you know which genre we're operating on from scene to right. scene. I don't know. I I just felt like I didn't know what this movie was for a lot of this movie's running time. um, And I still liked it. I was just... There was a real, like, how did this get made feeling, not because it was bad, but because I just didn't understand actor showcase for child with, like, light comedy bits and father-son pathos around alcoholism as a, like, movie. (laughs) There were just a lot of elements, and it didn't juggle all of them particularly well, but, like, that's... A pretty high bar to clear.
0: I do think that this movie does suffer from an excess of pathos. That, like, under these actual circumstances in the real world, you would not feel any sympathy for the champ, probably none for Linda... And, like, Tony might be the guy who comes out as the sort of long-suffering stepdad who has to deal with the fallout of his wife's giant clusterfuck of a mistake and ex-husband.
1: Yeah. There are parts in Act 2 where I really felt that way. Like, there's the bit where the champ is trying to scam the guy who's giving him back his fucking horse he gambled away out of the money that he agreed to pay the guy, (laughs) where I'm just like, oh, this asshole. It also comes right after a scene where he kind of badgers Dink into not going off with his mother, where he would objectively have a much better life. And like that scene is sort of played for laughs because it's this kind of cutesy setup where the champ keeps going like, hey, you wouldn't want to go to one of those fancy military schools, would you? Or live in one of those big houses where you got to wash yourself all the time. (laughs) And it's a cute scene, like, in execution, but, like, in terms of what that actually is in the real world, it's like, this is a man selfishly denying his child a better life so that he can win an argument with his ex-wife while being an alcoholic who cannot provide for his kid. It's pretty fucked up.
0: And his kid runs away to Tijuana? I mean, I don't know what Tijuana was like in 1931, but I feel like generally when your kid runs away from one country to another fucking country, there are some problems with that and how that was able to happen at all.
1: To be fair, I think Tijuana is just where they are. Like, I think Tijuana is where Dink and the Champ live.
0: Right, but Toadie and Linda live in California and they go home.
1: I think they live, like, on the East Coast. I think, yeah, but, like...
0: Then how does he escape back to Tijuana?
1: It's a really good question.
0: The logistics of this make no sense.
1: I mean, one, Dink is a resourceful kid. And two, I guess, like, trains, question mark? <laughs> Apparently, according to this film, the hard part of sneaking out of your mother's home in, like, Connecticut and going back to your father in Tijuana is getting your coat off of the door without your stepfather noticing. <laughs> Like, that's the real hurdle. You gotta jump to pull that one off. um. Because everything after that, the movie's just like, it's fine, he does that. Now he's back and there for the champ. God, I didn't even really process how fucking weird that was. Because at that time, what I was thinking was like, we are 20 minutes away from this movie being over and we have not set up in any way the climactic final boxing match that I know is the end of this fucking movie because otherwise, why is the champ a boxer?
0: And he hasn't actually boxed in any of the movie because he keeps getting thrown off of matches for drinking.
1: And there is so little setup to that final boxing match, it actually wraps back around to being kind of charming. It kind of comes out of nowhere and like... The stakes are set up incredibly hastily right before the match starts, where the doctor's just like, you don't have a good heart no more. And he's like, what? And then he's like, gotta do this. Then he like talks to somebody literally walking out to the ring and is like, I'll have the money for the horse after the match is over. Wink. And it's like, well, okay, here we go. I now know exactly how this is gonna go. Like, this is a boxing movie where absolutely nobody went, we definitely have to get the boxing right on this film. If we do one thing, we gotta make sure that the the, like boxing reads and is technically correct. And like feels like real boxing. Like no one did that. That was not anybody's interest.
0: And I kept comparing it to the boxing match in Bad Girl, which also was totally nonsensical and had no technical reality. But that was the point. Was because it was supposed to be this funny setup for him to convince the other guy that he needed to make it through the rounds so that he could pay for his kid to be born. And for them to have these like multiple rounds where they're basically just hugging each other, talking about their family. Yeah. And this was not that. It was supposed to be like, this is the big climactic boxing match a la Rocky. And like, it was not a good boxing match.
1: No there's, like, one line at the start that telegraphs, like, the strategy for anyone, and then there's just, like, a couple of cuts, and then there's, like, I actually, like, this is one of those things that works for me every time because of how much it doesn't work. I do kind of love it in movies when a character just dies of not needing to be alive anymore in the plot. Like, (laughs) when, when... Like, I fucking love it in, like, episode three when Amidala dies, and it's just like, what did she die of? Mm, Anakin didn't need her no more. And it's like, what? What? (laughs)
0: Or even more than that, it's that they die of needing to be dead so that we have pathos. Exactly.
1: And this movie had, like, a textbook version of that. I mean, he gets beaten up pretty bad. Boxing matches do not seem like they're fucking fun to be in or something. But, like he then like is is strong enough to walk out of the ring by himself like hold his gloves aloft and be like i did it give a short interview and then just falls over in the hallway and then the doctor solemnly is like nope he's dead and you're like oh, what of what of boxing too hard <laughs> is that a thing
0: I mean, yeah, that's a thing. And maybe I'm wrong, but I feel like with most sports injuries like that, you either like die in the ring or it's like several hours to days later.
1: Yeah. And like, I get why the movie didn't like hook him up to an IV drip and do a whole sequence of like, we've tried everything. But at the same time, they try nothing. Like, they, like, take his pulse and are like, he definitely overexerted himself. We can't, like, put saline. There's nothing to do. He's just a dead man now.
0: Do they not have CPR?
1: Apparently, they don't have CPR. They don't have, like, blood bags. They don't have anything they could use to treat him except, like, a stethoscope. That's it. That was the that was the full list of options.
0: I, I feel like CPR actually came about, from what I understand, pretty late in the 20th century. But still, like, they didn't try anything?
1: I I don't think so. Like, you've just cut to this scene with the doctor, and, like, everybody is just crowded around this table. He's just lying on the table. The doctor looks over at the champ's weird friend that, like, has a a stutter um, and just goes like, nope, not, no.
0: Oh, yeah. No, I mean, I know they don't try anything. It's kind of remarkable to me that there was nothing that they felt like they could try.
1: I also could have done with a like, this is a boxing match in Tijuana. Like, we're not going to have really great medical attention for you. Setup line would have gone a long way. But I really feel like I'm like nitpicking. This is a weird thing. But the thing where Dink's mom just doesn't doesn't seem clear on what children are or how they work is also a weird thing (laughs) like this movie just has some weird stuff in it and in the grand scheme of things this thing is not that big of a deal and i really just wanted to bring it up to talk about this last scene with jackie cooper that i feel like was improvised like did you get that to
0: only in so much as it felt very organic
1: yeah it feels like it feels like an acting exercise you would give a child actor where it's like you're going to be inconsolable and then everybody around the room is going to try and tell you something that makes you feel better and like i want you to respond like genuinely and and really like think about what they said and respond to it but just like you're inconsolable just nothing's going to make you feel any better And then you're going to see your mom and run over to her and say your last line. Because everybody just walks up to Dink. People who have never been in the movie before. Like, genuinely, there's just this handsome dude. And I'm like, who's handsome dude? Who just goes, it's okay, (laughs) Dink. I'll be your friend from now on. And like... What the fuck is up with handsome dude?
0: Yeah, like why is that going to comfort me? We've never seen this dude before. Yeah,
1: his best friend goes like, "We'll have plenty of adventures from now on." Like, it's kind of like a nightmare. Like there is a bit of a like nightmare quality to it where like everybody keeps saying these things that are supposed to make you feel better but aren't like quite logically connected to what's going on. <laughs> but also jackie cooper is just fucking acting his little heart out in that scene he's really good in that scene i liked the relationship between dink and the champ but i always kind of thought just like this movie is kind of weird and the champ is kind of an awful parent like i'm not fully invested in this thing and like damned if i did not have to like really try not to cry during this scene where jackie cooper is just wailing that he wants his dad back for like five straight minutes
0: oh yeah absolutely it's totally an acting tour de force yeah because you could not have given a shit about that relationship at all but seeing a child really genuinely and convincingly distraught at that level I mean, there's something in you if you are human and have a, a soul where you're like, oh my God, this is, this is heart rending.
1: Yeah. It retroactively justified a lot of the movie to me. I really kind of went, oh, this is one of those movies that is constructed so that this thing can happen. And like, it makes sense to build a movie around child actor Jackie Cooper. At the end of that movie, you're like, oh Yeah. Yeah. That kid's a star. You should put him in a movie where he can cry about his dead dad because holy shit.
0: (laughs) I wonder how many movies Jackie Cooper ends up being in that we're going to have to watch because I feel like it's going to be a lot.
1: Yeah. I feel like we're going to not have that many more in the child actor categories because I'm reminded that like Really, the very early Oscars, and this is one of those things that I've learned from my greatest source of historical knowledge, Drunk History on Comedy Central. (laughs) In the very early going, the Oscars kind of were a bit more of a novelty award. Like, they nominated Rin Tin Tin for Best Actor, like, early on.
0: Oh, for fuck's sake.
1: And so I think there was a bit more of a, like we want to show off what movies can be and what the range is. And like, you see that in like video game awards these days where they kind of like will reward people who are kind of pushing the boundaries and doing like stuff that's maybe not that professionally done, but like the novelty of it is interesting to move the medium forward or whatever.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: And I feel like the thirties are when it kind of transitions from that into being like the Oscars. So I don't know how many more like, I think Jackie Cooper got, like, a Best Actor nomination from this. Yeah,
0: he did. He was the youngest... He was the youngest nominated for a really long time.
1: Yeah, I think until, like, Haley Joel Osment or something. Right. Like, I think The Sixth Sense was the next time that, like... Somebody that young got nominated.
0: Oh, he's actually still the youngest nominee. He has held the record for 87 years. Okay, But he was nominated for Skippy. Oh. Not for this, which- Wild. I I can't really speak to because like, if he had a big tour de force acting scene in Skippy, it sure wasn't in the part of the movie we could watch. Uh,
1: No, there is a sequence in this- that is almost one-to-one a sequence from Skippy. There's a part when he's, like, on the train going to live with his mother where, like, he is alone and arguing with someone through a door about whether or not he's getting dressed that is, like, one-to-one the opening sequence from Skippy. And it's, like, it is apparently the fucking play Freebird of Jackie Cooper's child acting is just going like, I'm doing it, I'm doing it about putting on overalls. (laughs)
0: Yeah, apparently he is the youngest nominated for any acting award and has held that record for 87 years. Uh and Wallace is the second youngest nominee for A Piece of the Southern Wild huh. and was frankly robbed, in my opinion. Yeah, I don't even know who she that... was up against. <laughs> she was just robbed.
1: Yeah. Might have been a Meryl Streep year, in which case you were just mugged. Um... <laughs> Instead of a full-on robbery.
0: Right, Um. (laughs) right. That's fair. I was thinking about this, actually, in the context of this movie, looking at the other nominees that we've watched so far for this year, particularly in light of The Smiling Lieutenant, the Ernst Lubitsch film, and the fact that there's going to be another one. And I was wondering, because you were talking about how the Academy Awards were sort of these novelty awards. yeah. And I was thinking, like, how much of this was politics how much of it was box office how much of it was critical reception because a lot of these movies when you read the wikipedia pages or the history of them were not critically acclaimed so um, it sort of makes sense that they would be novelty but at the same time it's like was ernst Lubitsch just like the steven spielberg of the 30s where if he got out of bed that year they nominated him for an oscar
1: maybe i I can't quite tell, like, and I think it's one of those things where it's like they don't even know at this point in history, right? Like quite what they're trying to do. Like I was just reading a, th- a thing today about like the Razzies gave a whole bunch of nominations to Mother, which is like not traditionally bad in the way that the Razzies would say a movie is bad, but that is because the Razzies are like trying to remake themselves from a like trash action movie critiquing organization to a, like, thumbing their nose at all those stuck-up prigs in the film industry organization that, like, really wants to, like, stick it to the critics.
0: Mm, right. Where it's like, okay, yeah, it was artistic, but it was crap. Yeah. Which you know disclaimer i didn't see mother but i had enough friends who did and like all of my super artsy friends were like oh my god it was amazing and all of my super snarky feminist friends were like this movie was hot garbage
1: i have not seen the movie and i probably won't unless it got nominated for an oscar which i don't think it did Mostly just because if I never watch another film where some kind of artistic pursuit from a controlling man is a thinly veiled metaphor for directing, (laughs) and they're in an abusive relationship with a put-upon woman, where the point of the movie is like, see, see how bad I am? I just never need to watch that fucking movie again.
0: I have some bad news for you about this project. Yeah,
1: I I mean, that's kind of the thing is just like, I am definitely in advance going to OD on those from this. I don't need to like go voluntarily watch more of them in the like world outside of this podcast.
0: No, definitely not.
1: Also, I was opening up Jackie Cooper's Wikipedia page and then realized that I do not have the time to go back and forth between his filmography and the Academy Awards to figure out how many times we're going to see jackie cooper right now i'd
0: say it's gonna be a good amount just because of the longevity of his career i mean his last movie was superman 3
1: i feel like i was going to say that we're gonna have like a break after like 1941 where we're just not gonna see jackie cooper for like three years of this podcast and then we're gonna be like jackie cooper's back
0: i'd actually be okay with that yeah hey i missed that kid
1: the callback joke of hollywood history Jackie Cooper. Anyway, let's yeah, let's let's rate this film and do do the things we do at the end of this podcast,
0: I guess. So this is hard because I've you know I've been editing the earlier episodes. And so I have a lot of the early stuff from the first couple of years in my head.
1: Yeah, I'm in the same place.
0: Comparing those those movies to this one. Is just an exercise in futility because now I just want to go back and like knock all of those down because I don't feel comfortable giving this movie such a high mark.
1: Another thing, though, that like listening to those early episodes now, we kind of started off with this like we're related, we're we're judging within the same year, right? Mm -hmm. That I feel like we've kind of gotten away from that and have been trying to do like a unified scale of all movies of all time and i kind of think like maybe rating between the same year makes some more sense
0: yeah no i think it definitely does and i think i think it's going to be critical actually moving forward because trying to compare this to seventh heaven or god forbid <laughs> in old arizona
1: trying to come up with a scale <laughs> where this in old arizona and fucking citizen kane all fit on the same scale about a year from now is going to be real rough
0: right yeah like we would have to have had a one to 100 scale or we'd have to start getting into like really specific decimals yeah so yeah i would say like within this year so far with what we've seen with bad girl and the smiling lieutenant and five-star final I'm i'm gonna give it a six i might no i'll give i'll give it a seven i'm gonna give it a seven
1: i'm gonna give it a seven too i think there's room at the top for this year still but I do think this is the best movie we've watched from from this year, from the 1931-1932 awards.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Using five-star final as my, like, middle average grade, it has to be more than one point above that because the acting and the relationships were so much more convincing and so much more rich and so much more emotionally affecting mm-hmm. particularly because there are some parallels there between like a difficult single parent situation and there being a stepdad and like how that stepdad reacts to the situation and this movie has it all over a five-star final but i don't feel comfortable like putting it any higher than a seven because i do feel like like you said that it has it has trouble finding its footing tonally and it's just schlocky it's successfully schlocky but it's schlocky
1: i feel like i'm giving it a seven and not a higher grade because like i have a lot of positive things to say about this movie but i think when we get to should you watch this movie I'm still going to say no.
0: I think I am too. Again, it'll be one of those situations where like, if it's on and you have the flu and you don't feel like changing the channel, like it's not going to hurt you.
1: (laughs) This feels like the kind of movie that you would watch 10 minutes of in like a film history class. And those 10 minutes would be like super duper interesting and good. But like, you don't need to watch all 90 something minutes of this film. Because the parts that are good are good, and then also there are other parts of the movie.
0: (laughs) Yeah, but there aren't so many bad parts of it that it feels like a drag or it feels like it's just super extraneous crap that should have been left on the editing room floor.
1: Yeah, no, definitely not. This is just the natural pacing issues that come with like time that it's been like, it's been 80 years since this movie got made. The
0: jump cut hasn't been invented yet. Yeah, exactly.
1: That kind of stuff instead of like some of the other movies we've watched where it's just been like, boy, we really are just going to have an extra hour in here of random stuff happening. It doesn't have that. Right. There's some fat left on here, editing wise, because it's 1931.
0: I don't necessarily recommend anybody watch this. It's not a must see. At all by any stretch. So should we talk about what we're watching next week?
1: We're watching Aerosmith.
0: Yes, and not the band. No, they're old, but they're not that old. Sorry, Steven Tyler. Yeah,
1: I was trying to come up with like a live Tyler joke to make about this movie, and then to really a to see it, but then I didn't have the energy or anything for that. <laughs> like it was just like maybe I could do that, and then I started reading the plot summary of this thing. And I'm like, what is this movie? Susan, what are we watching? What is this thing that we're watching?
0: I started reading the plot summary and I would love to be able to tell anybody what the hell this movie is about. But wow, I have no idea. So I guess either like watch along with us or don't and find out if it's worth going back and seeing it next week. Good
1: news is Helen Hayes is in it. So that's something.
0: That's true. And not the character from the racket no but actual helen hayes the actor
1: actual real helen hayes
0: but until next week
1: that was like four movies somehow i don't really know how that works
0: (laughs) bye (laughs)